The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh, boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Welcome, everyone. Today, Ivor Cummins is in here with us. It should be a very interesting conversation. Ivor is, of course, a biochemical engineer. Uh, he got interested in, amongst other things, uh, the Great Reset agenda and sort of pushing back on that. He also was watching some old videos where he was got very interested in diabetes and the sort of engineering... Um, uh, mishaps are not that's not, i'm not how to describe it. in other words if engineers were involved in how we practice medicine it would be massive failures so i thought that was sort of interesting he has uh, spent 30 years in corporate technical leadership positions and since 2012 he has been researching root causes of chronic disease and so this should be very interesting he's got a lot of interesting ideas about some of the stuff kelly and i talk about re regularly of course dr kelly victor would be here with us as well we did get twitter spaces up and running today so perhaps we even have a chance for some questions as well stay with us we'll be right with it after this our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre the psychopaths start this way he was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography ptsd love addiction fentanyl and heroin ridiculous i'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. where the hell you think i learned that I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. There are three steps to great-looking, glowing complexion in the summer. Of course, apply sunscreen, stay hydrated, and use the amazing skincare products from our friends at Genucel. Most retinol creams are not recommended for sunlight, but Genucel's Ultra Retinol uses a powerful plant extract retinol. It's an alternative called Bacuchiol, which helps the skin stay hydrated, smooths out fine lines without harsh side effects, and it is safe to use outside under your sunscreen. Genucel works so well, you can see the results in this unplanned live moment on our show when the Redness Repair Cream repaired my skin in just minutes right before your eyes and susan and i love jenny cell so much we created our affordable bundles at up to 72 percent off of our favorite 
products at genucell.com slash drew and just for the summer every subscription includes a customized summer spa gift box absolutely free i know i'm a snob about the products i use on my face everybody knows it every time i go to the dermatologist's office they're just rows and rows of different creams and then when i get to the counter they're overpriced all kinds of products that you can all find at genucell.com see what's in our bundles get ready to show off your summertime skin go to genucell.com slash drew that's g-e-n-u-c-e-l.com slash d-r-e-w genucell.com slash drew and remember to use the code drew at checkout for extra savings temperatures are soaring across the country but do not lose sleep over the record-breaking heat say goodbye to hot restless nights with soft, breathable, temperature-regulating bedding from Cozy Earth. Susan and I love them. We were so excited to tell you about them. In fact, we have them on our bed right now, and the Cozy Earth sheets made such a difference. We got back from our trip and like delighted to have these sheets. They're made from super soft viscous from bamboo that are, helps regulate temperatures and keeps us comfortable all night long. Plus, they're durable, machine washable, come with a 10-year warranty against defects, it's no surprise that Cozy Earth's brand has been featured on Oprah's favorite things for five years in a row. They are now one of my favorite things, too. I want you to try these out for yourself. I am excited about a special deal that Cozy Earth is offering on our show today. My audience can save 40% on Cozy Earth bedding today. Just go to CozyEarth.com, enter our promo code Drew at checkout, and you will save 40% right now. Try them for 100 nights. If you don't sleep cooler and love them, send it back for a full refund that is C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H dot com, promo code D-R-E-W. And before we get into the interview, I just want I just want to express gratitude. The gratitude is we have such great sponsors that support our show. And they, All of them. And they go to great lengths to give huge discounts for our listeners and viewers. And this 40% off Cozy Earth, I'm excited for everybody. Those things, whoops. There we are. Or on my day, I saw the Cozy Earth thing come up and I thought, what, what's going on here? But 40% off uh, just with the code Drew. And they are on our sheet, on our beds right now. And I don't know if we're ever going to take them off. They are, uh, I, uh, I got COVID-19 last week and I said, should I them. change the sheets? And he said, no. I said, don't. <laughs> I said, do not. Also, they have clothing and pajama. <laughs> it's true. I know. But, He's like, keep uh, them. I don't, uh, I don't uh, want to lose uh, these. They're no. very soft. I, I, I've been having jet lag. And so I've been spending a lot of time in bed. And I've been trying. The one thing I didn't want to be bothered by was how the sheets felt. I wanted that to feel good. So I'll take my risk with the COVID-19. So, so there's a little feedback coming back. Drew, it's this I, thing. It's my phone. Can you turn your phone no. ringer off? No, it doesn't just do Just turn it, it off? It's just just a weird thing that happens. I'll, I'll put it under Are the you, table here. Yeah, good. There we go. Um, but the fact is, uh, they have they have pajamas, they have clothing, and Susan, there's a there's a surprise coming for you very very soon, so you'll be able to uh, extol the virtues of the clothing as well. So yeah, thank you. But anyway, so we're just excited to have a new good uh, sponsor, and we got some really interesting stuff coming back from the wellness company. Some, I mean, I. Ivor would be interested in this, for, as a matter of fact, but I, I can't talk about it yet, but it is breakthrough kinds of stuff. So let's bring in Ivor Cummins. Uh, again, you can follow him uh, on YouTube, Ivor Cummins, I-V-O-R-C-U-M-M-I-N-S, science, Ivor Cummins Science, and on Facebook, it is The Fat Emperor. And uh, please welcome Ivor, and let's see what The Fat Emperor is all about. The Fat Emperor, where did that come from? Hey, Dr. Drew. Privileged to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, the Fat Emperor was after I did some intense research, after I got poor blood tests, 
Uh, I had discovered all about insulin resistance and how cholesterol and the lipoprotein system was not what we were told. And it just occurred to me with the wife one evening, a triple layer metaphor. So the emperor, the fat emperor, obviously from Hans Christian Andersen, the emperor's new clothes. And I knew many researchers understood that cholesterol was not a major problem, but they get their mouth shut because, you know, it was the narrative. And then there was the emperor signifying corporate power that helped keep the paradigm alive. And then the poor fat emperor, the diabetic, you know, person in their 50s, obese, who was being told to eat healthy whole grains and juices uh, to to get better. And of course, they were being put right into the fire. Yeah. It said in your bio that you were very interested in the source of chronic disease. Um, You know, it's a topic that I I feel a little mixed about because there are a lot of people that claim we can eliminate chronic disease. And, and, you know, the way humans are constructed, you'd have to really, there's so many different chronic diseases and not all of them have a cause that we can put our finger on that we we can certainly mitigate so many of the problems there's no doubt about that and i i too i'm a big fan of the insulin resistance story that that's my story personally it's my family story uh my my lipids have lined up since removing carbohydrates from my usual my usual uh dietary intake but but in terms of your pursuit of uh, sort of studying chronic disease i mean you're an engineer what did you come up with Right, Dr. Drew. Well, you used the magic word I was just about to reply with, mitigation. Yes, there is intractable kind of diabetes type 2 that you can mitigate greatly. And some people, by all means, can go on a low-carb, healthy, high-fats diet, and they can effectively resolve it. But if they go back in the old diet, it's going to be right back. So it's all about mitigation and management, and that's very important in engineering. But I discovered, basically, I had very high cholesterol, I had high serum ferritin and I had high GGT, gamma glutamyl transferase, a liver enzyme. And the doctors I went to, three of them, including a professor of medicine in Ireland connected through the family, they couldn't give me the two key answers. And the questions I ask when I'm leading big teams internationally on complex problem solving, uh, the questions I ask are, what are the implications of what's happening? And what are the potential root causes we can address to mitigate? And the doctors simply couldn't answer, even though they were standard blood tests. And I thought, wow, there's something huge here. How can three specialists in this standard blood tests are the tools that are trade and they can't answer my questions? So I said, there's something huge at the heart of medicine that's missing. So I hit ResearchGate, I hit PubMed, and I spent the next few weeks, my wife thought I was crazy, uh, evenings and weekends, round the clock. I'm an obsessive when I've got a problem. And after a few weeks, I discovered insulin resistance, cardiometabolic syndrome. I had delved into cholesterol and the lipoproteins, and I'm kind of an animal for for technology. And I realized after a few Mm -hmm. weeks, I needed to greatly cut the carbohydrates. I'd been drinking fruit juice for five a day. I'd been eating healthy whole grains, and I'd been trying to reduce my fat. So I switched to the extreme opposite, I ate meat, fish, and eggs, and above ground leafy vegetables, non-starchy. And in six weeks, I collapsed my blood metrics that were bad. And in another three weeks, I did a recheck, and they collapsed further. So my cholesterol ratios became superb. Uh, my GGT collapsed from 100 plus down to around high 20s. And my ferritin almost halved, because ferritin is a marker for metabolic syndrome. 
And now I knew what insulin mm -hmm. resistance was. And all I did was diet, no extra exercise. I would not bring in any factor but diet because I'm an engineer. So I was not going to confound my results with a mixture of exercise and other healthy things, just diet. Yeah. I get it. And so now we have been through this, this extraordinary experience, uh, COVID-19, and I'm guessing your engineering uh, brain was uh, firing off like, you know, Roman candles on a regular basis. Um, and we live in a moment here where our presence on YouTube has been demonetized and restricted. And now we're hearing that if you don't, if you're not explicitly <laughs> explicitly uh, forming or, or framing your opinions based on what the World Health, Organiza World, World Health Organization, the WHO, the Chinese mouthpiece, that they, I, we, I talked to a woman yesterday who was in the WHO lab in Hong Kong working on COVID-19. She was quite clear the coziness with the Chinese Communist Party was extraordinary. That World Health Organization is supposed to be the determinant of all information that goes on YouTube. There will never be a day when I'm treating, when I'm teaching physicians, when I'm teaching residents, where I turn around and go, well, what's the World Health Organization say about that? What's the world, what's the, what are they saying? What is the CDC saying? What's the FDA saying? That never, ever, ever, ever happens. What we say is, show me the literature that formed your opinion. Give me that literature. Show me in the morning. Don't, and if you make a mistake, have a backup plan. It's engineering type stuff. But that we would never say, never, here's what the World Health Organization says. That's just disgusting to even think about that. As These things have nothing to do with the practice of medicine. These organizations never did. But now we can't talk about anything medical. I'm worried about even talking about fats because who knows? World Health Organization may have their own sort of take on that, even though it's a highly, highly controversial topic. I I would controversial anymore. Most people come down on your side of the equation. In fact, Peter Atia's book, Outlive, has one of the best descriptions of, of uh, lipid metabolism and insulin resistance, so accessible for the average person. But anyway, so we've been through this extraordinary experience. Um, what, what have you taken away? It's kind of a broad general question to start out with. What have, what have, your, what have you taken away from this experience and what are your concerns for the future? Whoa. Yeah, it's a big question, Dr. Drew. Uh, I have a couple of gigabytes of archived material uh, since 2020. Uh, there's a lot out there. Uh, so I'm going to cut straight to the chase, though, limited time. So I started Good. off thinking it was stupidity with uh, a fair dollop of pharmaceutical and WHO corruption, because I knew about swine flu 2009. Mm. And people need to understand Der Spiegel magazine, major mainstream in 2010, did a massive article showing that the WHO faked a pandemic, the WHO. They did. And they met with pharmaceutical around 30 reps in Geneva in 2008, and they agreed to redefine pandemic to take out the severity clause. In other words, all you needed now was a new virus that was spreading in multiple countries. You didn't need it to be particularly severe to go to the category yep. of pandemic. So the corruption was revealed, British Medical Journal articles at the time. So everyone knows in mainstream from 2010, the WHO have become utterly corrupted. That's a given. It's published. So when COVID came along and I saw what happened, I thought it was pharma and WHO corruption. But I think we want to get to the real thing. I only discovered later 
about the World Economic Forum and about the Rockefeller Institute and the Rockefeller Brothers Fund in the 50s. And Dr. Jakob Nordengord, uh, a professor in Sweden or assistant professor, he's been working for 15 years on the history of the Rockefellers. And it's fascinating because in short, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Rockefeller Brothers Fund in the 50s, they brought in Kissinger. They started the League of Nations earlier, which was the precursor to the United Nations. They effectively launched the WHO indirectly. They set up the Trilateral mm -hmm. Commission. They set up many other think tanks and bodies across the world. They were the richest people in America. And COVID actually comes from a long line of a long game to manage the West. So again, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's not depopulation. It's not, oh, they're going to depopulate the earth. It's none of that. Put simply, as my daughter said, they want an ant farm. And I think it's a great way to put it. They want to manage the West like China, and they've been 50 years working, and they're using the UN, WHO, the Club of Rome, and all the other commissions and uh, NGOs in a big plan. And the World Economic Forum, I'll finish with this, they brought in Kissinger, and Kissinger brought in Klaus Schwab way back in the 60s in their Harvard kind of think tank. And Klaus Schwab was brought in and sent back to Europe to start the European Management Forum, which in 1971 became the World Economic Forum. Could have been 80, actually. And in 2019, they joined with the UN and agreed a partnership. No media covered it to fund the UN's, you know, sustainable goals. But all of what I've said and so much more all leads to the modern system of which COVID was just a part to get universal digital IDs and to begin to control the West in a Chinese style fashion. Well, I do know that the Italian politician who was the first to lock down in the West, Lombardy, uh, was explicit that he was doing it in that, for that reason. He wasn't doing it to curtail COVID-19. He was doing it explicitly to show the West that this style of government was so desirable. And uh, for whatever reason, we all then followed suit as though it was the thus saith the Lord solution for COVID-19, which it so clearly was not. Be that as it may, there's this very strange phenomenon going on right now. And I, I've noticed this lately, uh, and it's what you're putting your finger on is that there is... And whether, whether I'm going to step aside and let Kelly dig in with you on some of your theories, whether the theories are accurate or not, I, I have no opinion. But I certainly have noticed that there seem the world seems to be dividing into two camps: people that think government should leave people alone, freedom should be a priority, and people should be left alone to live their life, and maybe some. Um, some reinforcers or something in place to guide behavior in good directions and whatnot, uh, fine. Versus people who want this incredible centralization of authority. So, so they, I don't know who they is even, or what would, I watched it in California, why they would enjoy this, to tell you how to live your life. Every aspect of it. E, e, do you have any sense of what that is? And have there been other historical moments like this? I have found myself reading a biography of Lenin, and there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, I wonder if there are other uh, nudniks out there like he was and his 
always a gang of rogues. Uh, what, where, what's, what's going on? What, why, why am I so confused by this? Yeah, Dr. Drew. Well, it's basically a form of totalitarianism, ideological. In this case, it's driven by ultra-wealthy elites who just get to create all the organizations I mentioned. And uh, you've got to hand it to them. Of course, as resources may become scarce in coming decades, there may be disruption in the world and conflict. They want to manage it. And they don't believe that they're evil. Uh, they really think it is our right. And in fact, it's our, it's our mission and vision to, to manage the world properly because the politicians can't do it. Uh, ordinary politicians are only going for the next voting cycle. Uh, who's going to do it? So again, for people to understand, it's not like big evil people. Now, of course, what they're doing will end up being incredibly evil because of tracing, tracking, it always does. Uh, losing all of our freedoms. Yeah. But they don't see it like that because they sit above that and they will never be affected by it. And they think it's their job to do this. But uh, Professor Matthias Desmet, I interviewed a few times now, I think he explains very well how the people fall for it. Because a lot of people in COVID, like I'm sure yourself, it was stunning to see the majority fell for what was palpably nonsensical. I mean, no one was dying around you, effectively, empirical evidence of your own eyes. The shop workers clearly were not getting sick and dying at any notable rate, and they're exposed 20 or eight hours a day indoors with no masks in April 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, and nothing happened to them. So we had all these obvious things, but people got a form of hypnotism from 24-hour propaganda on the media. So all of the media kept yeah. pumping out. And if the media pump out 24-7 a message, after a month or two, it's kind of been proven uh, in psychology, after a month or two, people just adjust their frame of reference to accept it must be true because their whole society is saying it. Therefore, it becomes a fact. And that's a fundamental mechanism that kind of worked uh, for these guys. Wow. Uh, yes, I know you're right. I, I hear Mark Chankese, a cognitive psychologist, saying something very, very similar. And I have heard Desmet say it as well. Uh, and Mark talks about also how the population uh, and its fear and distortions are what the leaders take advantage of. They don't necessarily cause it. They take advantage of it, which makes some sense to me. But I, that's why I was so disturbed at the beginning of this thing how the media was just pumping the fear. There's no way fear and panic could make things better. By the way, we have Mark Chankese coming in on August 31st. I'm going to finally get a chance to interview him alone. I had somebody else in here last time with him. I didn't get much out of him because the other uh, the other guest was a little bit louder. Uh, but uh, what I want to do is uh, take a little break here, and then we'll bring Dr. Kelly Victory in here. I know she's... Uh, sharpening her teeth she's probably got a thousand questions for you based on what you've said already so we'll take a little break be right back with dr kelly victory i suspect you've seen susan and i gushing over paleo valley products we love the taste and how well they fit into a paleo-based nutrition regimen they're delicious and we use them for travel all the time but there is more we are huge fans as well of paleo valley's grass-fed bone broth protein it comes in three flavors unflavored vanilla and chocolate 
It's a powder you can add to really anything. We add it to coffee literally every day. Smoothies, baked dishes, uh, just hot water dissolves really easily. The bone broth protein is made with 100% grass-fed and finished bones that are free from pesticides or antibiotics and are slow simmered to extract as much collagen as possible. As we age, collagen breaks down. That's what wrinkles are. And research shows that there are significant benefits to adding a collagen source in your diet. I don't think it's too much to say it's changed our lives. And Susan is now reporting that after drinking the bone broth for a few weeks, her hair is stronger and longer and nails are stronger too. Try it for yourself. You can order at drdrew.com slash paleovalley and use Dr. Drew at checkout to save an additional 15%. I want to share with you a teeth whitening system that goes beyond merely enhancing your smile. Primal Life Organics Real White Teeth Whitening System offers convenience and rapid results without harsh chemicals. Light, blue light for whitening, red light for gum and oral hygiene, and you can just do both if you wish. Works naturally, promoting gum healing, tooth remineralization, gives you a brighter and a healthier smile. Again, no peroxide involved. Consistent usage yields remarkable results. Take this opportunity to transform your smile and at the same time, optimize your oral health. Aim for five times a week for the best outcomes. Discover more about this remarkable teeth whitening system and other products at drdrew.com primal today. That again is drdrew.com P-R-I-M-A-L. Be sure to use that link for 60% off drdrew.com slash P-R-I-M-A-L. Do it today for 60% off. A lot of you have been asking for more information about how to counter the adverse effects of the spike protein from COVID infections and the COVID vaccine. The spike protein is not your friend. Let's just say that. So I'm glad we have the wellness company Spike Support Formula as a sponsor, especially since renowned internist and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough who's also chief scientific officer of the wellness company, is one of its champions. There's some very intriguing research around natokinase, which might be a way to take on the spike protein. Listen to this. So start, if you would, with talking about natokinase, how you got to that and where you see its application. So with the viral infection or the vaccines, the spike protein stays within the body and it's found in the heart, the brain, the vital organs, and is causing problems. The Japanese have been using this for heart and vascular disease now for 20 years, it's safe, it is a form of a mild blood thinner, that it dissolves the spike protein nearly completely. Spike support formula is the only product on the market containing natokinase, dandelion root, and a host of other antioxidants, all showing promise in helping you protect yourself and your family. To order this unique, specially formulated supplement, go to drdrew.com TWC. That is drdrew.com slash TWC. Use code Drew at checkout for 10% off today. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. Every time I hear those words, I just think, oh, and today is no exception. <laughs> Dr. Victory, welcome. Hi, uh, I was so happy to have you here. We've really been looking forward to this and thank you, particularly given the time change. I know it's a late hour where you uh, mm. where you sit. So thank you for, for making time to, to do this. And I really do want to save time to get into the weeds on some of this stuff, everything 
from the the, uh, root cause issues with chronic disease and even into some thoughts about the vaccines, quote unquote, and and those sorts of things. But I want to stay at a high level for a second here. Um, Drew said he doesn't have an opinion about some of this. I have an opinion about all of it. And I suffice to say, there's very little daylight between (laughs) where you and I stand on this, Ivor. I think we are in lockstep. I threw the bullshit flag very early on in, in the in the pandemic and said, this is insanity. What are you talking about? In fact, I remember the first time I saw little circles on the floor at a at a grocery store where you're mm. supposed to do the stand for this six foot distance. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was I thought it was a joke. And then I realized they actually think you're gonna stand on these little circles. Oh my God. Anyway, I mean so dumb. It's it's really an embarrassment um that what we did to people and what people believed. But for me, and certainly this has been a bit of an existential crisis, uh, COVID has, because I have realized that although we all have been focused on COVID, the pandemic, and what's happening to people and the lack of treatment and all of these silly mitigation schemes that were put into place and the horrific damage that they did, it is clear now that that is just the tip of the iceberg. And this is sort of the scab on what's really underneath what's been going on globally for a while. So. I was aware certainly of the fact that uh, much of the data on statins, for example, had been falsified, that information about the opiates. Now we know that there was a lot of corruption and fraud related to the opiate crisis. Go back from your perspective, your broader purview. When did you first, uh, if it was before COVID, come to believe that there was something else going on, that this, whatever you want to call it, the great reset or the powers that you're talking about, whether it's the World Economic Forum or others, were looking to reset or regain or restructure societal control. Yeah, oh, it's great to be here uh, with you, Dr. Kelly and Dr. Drew. No, appreciate that. So basically in March, my uh, wife came to me. She's a first class honors engineer as well, but she had seen all the stuff in COVID. I had seen it and I said, it's another swine flu. That was my casual assessment. I'd also seen the Diamond Princess data, the cruise ship, and it was clear the fatality rate would be around 0.2% and massively Mm -hmm. skewed to people in their 80s, mostly in nursing homes. So I didn't even think about it. But she was wondering, should we buy masks? And I said, why? And she said, well, oh, you know, the COVID thing, they're all talking about it. And I said, it's nonsense. So I'm not being arrogant, but I just said it's nonsense from Diamond Princess and the early Chinese data showing a 10x risk for diabetes, age. It was clear as day it was going to be a severe flu. And I said to her, this will not touch you or I or our five children, and it will not touch my 79-year-old mother a half a mile down the road because I know her blood tests. And she doesn't have any autoimmunity. She doesn't have any insulin resistance. She's going to be fine. And she was. So that was me, but then they did lockdowns. I was in Denver at a low carb conference and I was on stage and next minute Trump came out and was shutting down the country. I had to change my flights. And I said, what the hell is going on? And I was hoping, as I mentioned to Dr. Drew, that it was just stupidity with a lot of WHO and pharma corruption thrown in. But I Mm -hmm. did not expect it to go totally mental. And to your question, it was a few weeks in and I was trying not to believe that it was a much bigger thing than stupidity and basic pharma corruption. I was trying so hard. I didn't want to go there, but then I began to get sent stuff and I was sent Common Pass. So Common Pass 
a digital kind of vaccine passport. That company was set up, I later found out from Rockefeller Institute in mid 2019. And there was a huge spike in searches for Common Pass back in mid 19, and they were centered around Switzerland and Geneva. That's what the Google searches showed. And then it went quiet and it exploded in March 2020. And I began to look and realize, uh oh, this is kind of planned in some fashion. I don't know the details. And later, to cut a long story short, just to, to let you back in, uh, Dr. Jakob Nordengard in Sweden has been 15 years researching the Rockefellers, and his talk for 45 minutes explains everything about COVID and everything else. And it starts in the 50s with the Rockefeller Special Projects uh, group and fund. And it just comes all the way through to their private club, the UN, the WHO, the Trilateral Commission. It's just all clearly. And you know, the last thing I'll say, Kelly, in the late 1950s, they identified with no scientists in the room four things that would help them get a new managed Western kind of world order of sorts. And two of the top things were pandemic fear and climate disaster fear. They had terrorism mm. and banking crisis, and they right. used those on and off in the last 20 years. But pandemics and climate were the stars of the show. And here so, we are. Yeah. So prior to the, to the pandemic, when you were going through your own sort of personal journey of exploration about your own health issues and your cholesterol and insulin resistance and coming to the conclusion that the low carb, and we all fell for it, that low carb thing for, I mean, excuse me, the high, the you know, low fat thing. Uh, I, I remember well yeah. sitting, you know, eating boxes of snack well, you know, fat free cookies um, and all of that craze. Remember, there was an entire area of the grocery store uh, in the United States dedicated to fat free, you know, high, you know, high sugar uh, snacks. Um, did you did it occur to you then when you were looking at it that there was corruption that the things that were driving all of this ill health was really driven in large part if not entirely by pharma and by the fact that the you know as i call it we don't have a health care system in the united states we have a disease care system uh we are we are reasonably good at disease care uh health care doesn't pay. Um, did you have any insight into it when you were going down that portion of your exploration? Right. Well, actually, I'd been through that many years before in 2012 when I had my experience with poor blood tests and the doctors and the professor of medicine clearly didn't mm -hmm. know much at all. And after a few weeks, I researched it and I realized we've been gamed for many decades. Now, I do think it didn't start as a conspiracy. It started as kind of the corruption of Ansel Keys and this belief that cholesterol drove most heart attacks and that it was mm -hmm. driven by eating saturated fats. Uh, that was kind of an ideology. But then, of course, the food industry realized they're asking us to replace meat, fish and eggs and real foods with ultra cheap vegetable oils, sugars and starches. What's not to like? So I think yeah. then increasingly the 70s and 80s, it's like industry, just like an enormous bloated tick, began to feed on the system yeah. and fund nutritional research to maintain the paradigm. So I don't think industry initiated this, this scam, but I think they identified this amazing opportunity. And, and here we are. And pharma also, of course, they feed off the chronic disease. 
So the food industry and pharma, two of the most powerful lobbying industries on our planet, they're almost symbiotic on this one because pharma are making no. out like bandits. And yeah. And I well, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head. So it's it's the industry has everything to gain, and so does pharma from people being ill and from this. But and I'm going to throw in the tri, the third piece for the trifecta. The problem that I am now aware of, and that Drew and I talk a lot about, is that the capture of our quote scientific journals by pharma. So where Drew was saying, you know, when we teach residents, we say, well, show me the literature, show me the study. The problem is that that piece isn't pure anymore. We cannot rely on, quote, the scientific studies. There are no scientific studies. They are all essentially the Lancet, BMJ, JAMA. Those journals are fundamentally the marketing arm for big pharma. And so we are in a real conundrum here with regard to how we make medical decisions. So when you go and research things and, and look at things, have you found a way to, to tease out in your mind as an engineer, as somebody who's the consummate scientist, how you can distill what is actually legitimate, you know, verifiable data versus propaganda? Yeah, that's a great question, Kelly. And, and that's kind of what I did back in 2012, 13, because I'm 30 years in complex problem solving. There's a lot of politics in corporate. And when you're at a senior level, you know, politics come in. Certain countries and regions don't want to be blamed for a problem. So I was well used to dealing with bias and, you know, experiments that were biased to give a certain answer. Uh, but in 2012, 13, when I went into ResearchGate and PubMed, I realized what you said because I'm so used to an analyzing technical data and designing experiments, DOE and all that statistics. I lectured mm -hmm. engineers on statistics. I realized looking at the papers, hold on a minute, half the papers on fat and cholesterol, roughly, they're actual data and the data in their supplemental tables, which was a real rich vein of information, their abstract doesn't match their actual data. Right. And I was just stunned. Right. Because when you went in and you got their actual Excel files and their supplemental data and looked, you found what their study actually said, but it wasn't reflected in the abstract. So I came across that back in 2012, 13. I realized half of the scientific literature are just junk studies, junk papers, p-hacked to get p-values, you know, less than 0 0.05. And they're just completely riddled with, with corruption. I, I want technically... to jump in, though. I, I don't disagree with you, but we have a conundrum. And and it's and Kelly, you and I have been sort of pointing at this issue for a while. And the conundrum is that in this country, you have 10 years to make your uh, your investment back. Essentially, the the click the clock starts running the second you pull the new molecule off the shelf. It takes about five years and $1.2 billion mm -hmm. to bring a molecule to market. And God knows how many failures you have to go through. So let's say it's two or three billion dollars to bring a single new medication to market, and you have five years to make that three or four, two, three billion dollars back. That's a crazy. B. I was talking to the head of the HHS uh, in Washington a couple of years ago, and I said, "Look." What are we doing here with with our research protocols? Why aren't we bringing things to market more quickly? And aren't we creating a, a more efficient way of doing phase three clinical trials? And he said, phase three trials are too expensive. 
And by the way, I work with an organization called the Prostate Cancer Foundation where we're doing novel research of bringing new ideas to light. We don't, we, we have to go to pharma when it comes time for the phase three trial because they are so expensive. And right. even with their deep pockets, we still can't find enough patients to do the studies you want to do. So how do we solve this conundrum? Well, we kind of need them, but we're angry with them. Kathy, what do you think? Well, I will tell you, I, I think the problem with pharma, in my perspective, is much of it has become a solution looking for a problem. They find a molecule they want to develop, and then they are hell-bent on finding something to apply it to. Take remdesivir. Remdesivir, they spent a fortune developing it. It was an abject failure with Ebola. Okay. It failed. It was miserable. Now I said, damn mm -hmm. it, we've spent a lot of money on this. We got to find someplace to stick this, you know, pig. So we got to, you know, we, we got to put this, we got to get rid of this thing. So we'll stick it on, oh, I know, COVID. You know, it, it wasn't any more successful for COVID than it was for Ebola. It killed people. Okay. Big pharma, rather than looking at all of the things, rather than doing what Ivor said was, wow, here's a way, just a dietary change. The issue is that a dietary change that changed his health parameters 100% didn't make anybody any money. It saved his life. Yeah, but, that, that's, but that's life, our profession's but mistake anybody, for not, I, I, no I, I agree with you, but it's, it, our, it's us, our mistake for not advising him properly and uh, supporting the propaganda. But it, it, you see how it's a right. conundrum though? We, we need them, but we are mad at them and, and we're making mistakes because we we sort of buy into the cult a little bit. We get culty as doctors in our what we do and opening our pads and you know just kind of doing right. things automatically. We 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 got a big problem to solve here. It's not all somebody's fault. We have to work at solving it. It seems to me. No, I agree. So so I would go back to this whole because I assume that you know this is an area that I know a lot about. It's near and dear to my heart. The issue of chronic illness that certainly drives the bulk of our healthcare spend. I've said for 25 mm -hmm. years, you cannot manage healthcare costs if you don't manage health. Uh, costs are a oh, result Kelly. of the ill How about the last of the three population. months of life expense? The, in, in this right, country, right, exactly. especially what we spend on the last three to six months of life, right. which is totally insane and, 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 right. and only causes suffering, like severe suffering. Right. That's it for everybody. Right. Agreed. So, Ivor, so go back. Other than your own personal journey with regard to high cholesterol or lipid issues and insulin resistance, have you looked at other, quote, chronic illnesses, which there are quite a few, um, and done the same thing with those, even though it wasn't your own personal issue? Do you, have you looked into the root causes for other illnesses? Oh, yeah, for sure. The last 10 years. And I now run uh, metabolicduo.com with Gabor Doshi, a, a biologist in Hungary. And we go through scientific papers. We both have a few thousand papers on our archives mm -hmm. that we've gone through. And we feature those every two weeks. So I've been through a ton of it. But I'll give an example. Uh, there's a beautiful paper. Uh, metabolic syndrome is broader than you think. And I think it's around seven or eight years ago. And it just talks about insulin resistance as a phenomenon. But what they did was really good. They took hundreds of papers and studies on metabolic syndrome, which is insulin resistance syndrome, which is hyperinsulinemic syndrome, cardiometabolic syndrome, mm -hmm. loads of words. It's the same thing. So they went through hundreds of papers and they said, how many of them measured insulin rather than just glucose and triglyceride, HDL? And they found around 58 papers, I think, from memory that did measure insulin. And 95% of these studies 
linked insulin directly to the maladies. But the list of maladies was cardiac disease, you know, Alzheimer's, um, neurodegenerative disease, a whole list of modern chronic diseases. And every one of them was 11 out of 12 linked insulin, uh, another disease, PCOS, four out of five or five out of five. Ultimately, out of 58, 95% insulin tracked directly. So insulin is not the one ring to rule them all. But it's such right. a huge Pareto problem that if mm -hmm. everyone only lowered their insulin, you'd be way ahead of everyone else and you'd be 90% there. Now, there is autoimmunity. There's the toxicity of vegetable oils. There's omega-3, omega-6 ratio. America is up around, I think, 10 and Japan is around four, and you should be down at four wow. in the blood test, the omega-3 index. So there's many other things to watch out for, and of course, autoimmunity to plant world proteins. Celiac mm -hmm. is a classic, but there are also right. many other plant world proteins for minorities that cause major issues. And uh, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, another driver of high liver enzymes. So there's lots of causes, but insulin resistance is so connected um, it's the first one to fix. And then if you still have a problem, you move on to all the others and then it can get a little more tricky because you're into all the other uh, lower level uh, prevalence issues. But I mean, insulin resistance is the one. To, you just fix that first. You get your fasting insulin down three or four micro units. You know, you get your triglyceride over HDL in the proper range. Um, and then, then you can go and look at the other stuff. So, you know, so food, what we, you know, what we eat is the consummate environmental factor and the easiest one to control. It's far harder to control the amount of ozone in the air, despite what they want you to think. It's far harder to control the particulate matter or the amount of sunshine that you get or whatever else, you know, air quality. Food is the easiest for us to control. But so let's... Talk a little bit about what, you know, we have seen, certainly in this country, um, this massive increase in autism over the past several decades. Um, it is really a, for us here in the United States, it is, we have a, an epidemic of it. And people are looking very hard at trying to find out what is it um, that is causing that. I think it's surely or likely um, something related in environmental in the same reason we've, we've seen a huge uptick in autoimmune diseases, um, you know, kids with peanut allergies and asthma, skin conditions, those sorts of things. Do you have a thought about whether or not um, these problems, and I, I assume you're seeing them in the UK as well, um, whether all of these autoimmune issues and perhaps autism are related simply to things that we are eating, or is it, you know, many people in this country, there's a lot of talk about whether it's the frequency of vaccinations and vaccination schedules. Do you have thoughts about, about that particular issue? Yeah, this is one you have to be careful on. Obviously, I, I saw your warning on the screen. So I'll say first that I traditionally did not think about the mass medication uh, that, that you mentioned. Uh, I thought that that was maybe not so likely, and I had always assumed that they were safe and effective. Uh, you know, I don't know why. <laughs> you never, yeah. uh, and I, I assume because we've got this enormous explosion on obesity and in women, we have PCOS, which is insulin resistance driven overwhelmingly. And in fact, prostate enlargement, again, to do with the uh, reproductive system, prostate is now being called uh, the PCOS of the male. 
And again, yeah. insulin resistance. So then we have very obese mothers who are having children and feeding them juice and grains. And they start off with high insulin from the mother. So I thought that this whole explosion of chronic disease over the last 60 years was possibly having neurological effects or reproductive effects and leading to mm -hmm. this autism explosion. Now, since the last three years, I, <laughs> I have a raised eyebrow. <laughs> I revisiting the whole topic because the last mm -hmm. three years showed us that the corruption is an order of magnitude greater than even I, steeped in knowledge of corruption for decades, realized. So we've been shown that in the last three years. So now I have to revisit and say, well, hold on a minute. What I thought was probably maybe, you know, misinformation. I'd better look again. So I won't state here. I've got to be careful now with censorship. But let's just say I'm looking into it again. And I think I can say a mainstream or publicly available book, Turtles All the Way Down. Now, there's yes. one about music or something. So you need to search carefully. Yeah. I was stunned, to be quite honest. My whole life has been the scientific method, especially in complex problem solving with hundreds of millions at stake, sometimes corporate money. The control is crucial. I've lived my life by the control. So many times engineers pushed an agenda on what they thought the cause was and avoided putting proper controls in to get data that would support their belief system. So control to me is everything. And when I read Turtles all the way down, I found out that we effectively didn't have a control in the last 30 or 40 years of this technology. I just, I was shocked because without a no. control, there is no science. That's it. That's not me right. being hyper hyperbolic or hyperbole. That is fundamental. No control, right. no science. You might as well go down and talk to the local guy in the bar and ask him what he thinks. And apparently, yeah. and they've referenced this to the hilt, the control used in these products is so far back and so gray, it essentially doesn't really exist. And that just stuns me. It stuns me. So who knows? How can you possibly say it, it doesn't result in any things relating to autoimmunity, like the one you mentioned, or anything else? You've no control. You can't say. No, that, that is exactly where I, when I said, you know, I am in an existential crisis, I really meant it. Uh, prior to this, I have been referred to as a vaccine zealot. Uh, I was a very strong promoter of, of vaccines. I believed very strongly in them and, uh, and wrote and spoke prolifically about that. Um, I now have had to do a deep reanalysis myself, and I agree that particular book is a is a brilliant compilation of the actual data uh, and it is highly referenced, as you said, and, and it points out amongst many, many other flaws, the fact that there isn't a single study on any of the previous vaccines that used a true control group, uh, without which, as you rightly point out, there is no science. So I am doing, I, I have not said that, yes, these cause X, you know, vaccines cause Y. I'm simply saying that I am doing a very, very serious reanalysis uh, and the data is sorely lacking. Um, so I think we really need as a, the entire medical uh, industry needs to, re to redo this. In the UK, where do, what is the sort of the, the, the atmosphere, the state of things uh, in terms of um, 
vaccine requirements, for example, uh, for children or to attend school? Yeah, I, I'm not sure the UK and Ireland, it's if you choose not to bother with them, largely you can currently get away with it. Huge peer pressure, okay. letters sent to you. But legally, in Ireland, we have a very powerful constitution and fundamental rights of autonomy stop them mandating hardcore for schools. So if you just want to get the old ones from 30 years ago that are relatively might be perceived as benign and not go for all the new ones. I think you can just do that. Um, but in America, I believe there are 72 individual shots across. It's It's gone from eight to 72 yes. over the last 25 years. Yeah. It That's insane. Ireland and England, it's more voluntary and there's far fewer. But they're trying to add tons more, obviously, like because pharma has their hand in their butt. And yeah, it's a problem. Now, just to your point about being, I was never pro-vaccine because I didn't even care about the topic. But in around 15 or 16, 2015 or 16, I was going to Shenzhen in China on business with my corporation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they recommended I get a couple of vaccines. They were probably yellow fever. But just to tell you, right. Kerry or Kelly, I went down to the local doctor and I was chatting to them about chronic disease. And during our chat, she slapped in two of the vaccines. I didn't even ask her what they were. I didn't even, I, that's just proves I couldn't care less. But since March, 2020, that's different now because yeah. now I've been flagged to corruption orders of magnitude higher than even I uh, was understanding. And when I look, and it's very telling, here's one Kelly about statins. I've debated people on statin effectiveness many times, and I go by the published literature and the randomized controlled trials from pharma. I look through their data, I point out how the effect size or benefit is actually kind of risable, very small, but I don't actually say they falsified the data because I don't know that. So I use their data to point out how they're kind of useless. Mm -hmm. Fine, but I can go out and find hundreds of papers with data on statins with controls, and I have for a decade. Right. I was shocked. I think this is the central point. Yeah. I cannot find controlled RCTs for this other class of drugs. And that is just stunning. Right. I'm even shocked it, as I yeah. say it now. No, you know, you, you are hitting the nail on the head. And, and in fact, uh, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. asked specifically and said, you know, if, if anyone can produce for him a randomized control trial for a vaccine with a true uh, placebo, you know, a true control that please bring it to him. And it has not been produced. It does not exist. And I was shocked, shocked as well. One of the things I want to um, truly ask you about is the difference in, you know, we have very, very different healthcare systems in the, between the United States and, and Ireland and the national health system. You would think that in a system that is more what we, what we call here a socialized system or a universal health system that you have, that the motivation really would be to keep people healthy because that's what pays. Where in the United States, there's a disincentive. I mean, really, the, the incentive is to keep people sick. Uh, it, it feeds this, feeds the beast. Uh, you know, hospitals don't make money if people aren't in them. Uh, so there's a huge incentive for people to be hospitalized and to be sick and to be coming back to see you over and over again, uh, to have repeated blood work and to be on lots of medications. Um, that's quite different, or my perception of it is that it's quite different in, in the UK or in Ireland. Do you see it that way? Do you see that there is a, that 
Part of the problem is the structure of the healthcare system itself that's that's causing uh, perverse incentives. Yeah, I'd say the USA is extreme and it's utterly taken over. I mean, the revolving door between the FDA and Pfizer yeah. and Merck is just comical at this stage. So US is extreme. I had a biceps tenodesis after a bike accident years ago, and it was around two and a half grand in Ireland, and it was 25,000 mm. in the US. That's oh. an example of the insanity in the US. However, the UK and Ireland now have been so taken over by pharma and the medical industry that the fact that it's socialized almost doesn't matter anymore. Because mm -hmm. I give an example in the UK, I have lots of friends who are NHS, UK system doctors, mm -hmm. and they were telling me, and I looked it up and it's true, they've got new metrics in the last 10 years where basically if they treat targets, blood test targets with drugs, they get paid more. And if they go with food, they don't get paid. So yeah. they're paid by prescription. Yeah. So you can see there, the metrics now are largely doing what the USA is. Shower people with drugs, move the deck chairs on the Titanic, you get paid mm -hmm. a lot. Go mm -hmm. and help them actually get better or address root cause, you're screwed. And in the NHS, the doctors don't get paid huge money like America. They get paid like a normal kind of corporate factory manager salary but it's nothing amazing like in america so they need the money and the money is driven by the metrics and the metrics are owned by the nice organization in england who sets all these things and nice is a bedfellow of big pharma i mean it's clear as day yeah. Well, the pharmaceutical industry is huge in Ireland in particular, no question. Um, yeah. Many of them based there. I, I, it's, that's a, a huge issue. Um, interestingly, here in the United States, uh, the health insurers were paying, incentivizing physicians per patient who got vaccinated for COVID. If you met certain metrics, you know, 60% of your population or 80% I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars of incentives per physician. So you take your average, you know, pediatrician or family practitioner who might be making, you know, $180,000, $200,000 a year, and you offer that, you know, 50% additional bonus to get your patients uh, vaccinated. What do you think they're going to do? So, um, Drew, I'm watching the clock wind down here, and I want to make sure that I give you a chance to to jump in here with Ivor. So yeah, what else I, have I not gone? So much. Thank you. Uh, well, just so much of this is for me frustrating. I, I immediately, my head wants to go into solution mode because it's just so overwhelming and disturbing, you know, that uh, we're in this circumstance and, and I just don't know the, the way out yet. The, the, I guess, you know, it, two things sort of, I've been thinking about while you guys were talking. One was how RFK Jr., both were related thoughts related to RFK Jr., how he really helped us understand the capture of these companies. Uh, and that capture is international. I've seen mm -hmm. John Campbell talking about that in England, and I, I'm aware that it is in the UK, rather. But I, it is an international problem of the coziness of the coziness of government officials with big business. That is, and Vivek Ramaswamy has been talking about it too, about unraveling some of that. The other thing, and this is, I, I'm not quite sure what to do with this, but RFK Jr. was talking about the how how this country was founded and and fought and you know struggled 
during all sorts of pandemics, whether it was cholera or yellow fever or malaria. Uh, and this was, this was the, the words that was kept ringing in my head during the early days of COVID. My father, who was an old family practitioner from the early part of the 20th century, his, he, I could hear his voice going, wait a minute, they, they shut the world down for a respiratory virus? What? We had yellow fever and polio and smallpox and a respiratory virus shut. The, I, I don't. You must no, no. We I, he would have died again. Yeah. He would have been. It would have been a second death from our third yeah. death. Even I, he would not have been able to survive it because of his outrage at this whole thing. And we and back. You know, one of the things you said, Ivor, early on is how they've taken severity out of the equation for pandemic and how we respond to it. And if you take that out. Well, what are we doing then? Then everything's an epidemic. Everything's a pandemic. Everything is fear. You know, should be we should be afraid of life because it means we have to die one day. So here we go. Let's just start with that. And I, I'm just I, this whole thing. I I'm just glad we're having these conversations. I'm I'm hoping that that just by having them will raise people's uh, consciousness about these things. I'm wondering if, Kelly, you want to take some calls. It's one of the reasons you called me in here. I'm, I'm going to reach under the table here and grab my phone. Does that sound like I'm a reasonable thing? Ivor. Yeah, Ivor, it's late where you are. Do you, have another, do you have another 10 minutes? Oh, yeah, go for it, guys. Okay. Special occasion. Okay. All, right. All right, so let okay. me. Okay, okay. Just hope we Special get them on occasion. quickly. Good. All right. So uh, those of you had your hand up, uh, they're in the Twitter spaces. You put your hand up. I'll see you there and I'll bring you up to the podium where you'll be streaming on multiple platforms. I don't know if it's still YouTube is one of those platforms, but we will be on at least uh, Rumble, Twitter, Twitch, uh, Facebook and yeah. other places yeah. as well. I, I usually get and, a uh, off. <laughs> but before you do that, Drew, you have uh, to turn down, that, turn Caleb? the volume down entirely on your phone or plug in that dongle it, it to is. mute it. it. It is. I'm hearing feedback on your side or for some what? reason. I know it. It has this little plug faint. in the dongle. What's it? Yeah, plug in the dongle, the but dongle. don't. I don't yeah. have it here. I don't have it here, Susan. Yeah, I have it yeah. muted anyways. Why? Why would okay. I? Just I, plug I mean, it in. Unplug the phone and put the. Or how about it, it tricks it. Yeah. It's still making noise. Put the dongle in it. I don't have it. I don't have it. <laughs> Give it for me. I will. I will Professional. happily do so. People. All right. Uh, let's bring up. Bring up a question. Uh, Josh has a question for some of us here. Someone amongst us here, at least. Hey, Dr. Drew. Hey, Josh. So, hi. So um, Kelly mentioned something. This has been, you know, talked about, oh, God, I remember 20 years ago, people talking about the connection between autism and vaccines. And mm. for me, it just doesn't make immediate sense. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. But I want to know what she thinks is the cause because otherwise my mind just goes to unfortunately she was using the word propaganda and i'd have to put the word back to her because it just it it really is very strange it's a very strange connection i want to know what the root of that argument has been over the years yeah thank you for the question and i don't want to get too deep into it uh, but what i'll tell you the theory is this and what people said and i refuted by the way i freely acknowledge that i was the one out there saying well that's insanity there isn't a verify you know a shred of credible evidence that vaccines are related to autism here's why i'm rethinking it i think it is the argument is that it's actually the adjuvants the other things that are in traditional vaccines uh aluminum 
for a long time, mercury, so the preservatives. I, I, I have a hard Though, time with that. I have a hard time with that. I, 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 I'm, I, I I'm just telling you what the theory. I'm just telling you that way. Okay. Go ahead. That 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 there are very few. There's other than lead, aluminum is one of the most neurotoxic substances known to man, and it crosses the blood-brain barrier. It's the reason it's added to many vaccines is because it helps the vaccine get into places it wouldn't otherwise get. So. So start with that. Then on top of it, much of it came from the experience of mothers who said, my child was neurologically normal, totally normal, walking, talking, meeting milestones. And then within 12 to 24 hours after getting this shot became profoundly ill and everything changed. They had what appeared to be an encephalitis, inflammation of the brain, and then it went forward. That has been the theory. I said, no way, no how. But when I went back to prove it to myself, as we to get back to the conversation with Ivor, I went back to look at the studies. Surely there are studies proving that these are safe and effective. I mean, I was giving this them to the people problem. and suggesting. This okay? is the problem. So surely, yeah. so I went back yeah. simply to pat myself on the back and say, you're not crazy, Kelly. You were right. There isn't any credible evidence. Just go get the study. Until lo and behold, I found that the study was crap. It, there wasn't a right. control group. So there. So the conclusion that this thing was safe and effective and didn't have any side effects isn't there because rather than having a placebo group where somebody just got saline, for example, in the shot, the quote unquote control group was people who got another vaccine, a different vaccine, not the vaccine they were studying, not the mumps vaccine, but they were getting rubella or tetanus or a different vaccine. That's not a and, control. And Kelly, two, that's, two things. That's not a control group. Two things. It, it, and they didn't do this in COVID either, which is it would have been so simple to just match controls who aren't vaccinated with anything. Just randomly match them. That's fine. And then go forward and see who has. It's not a, it's not a randomized control study with you know good controls, but it's a control is a way of doing a, a suboptimal kind of a control experiment. And we haven't even done that, which is just extraordinary. That's number one. Number two, though, the again, this is the, some of the, what I admire RFK Jr. for. He he alerted us to this. He said there's more studies need to be done, but merely by asking for more studies and for sort of removing some of the um, excess protection that the pharmaceutical companies have gotten since the Reagan era, by just saying that you are an anti-vaxer, you're an anti-vaxer for just asking right. for more studies, and that is right. very, it very, very disturbing. Right. And then the last thing I'll say, just to, to wrap that particular question up, which is was a good one, but for a whole show, um, then if you look interestingly at populations that aren't vaccinated, for example, the Amish, if you look at populations that don't get any vaccines, the incidence of these things- they do. They do get vaccines, apparently. They get, some apparently do. They some do. do but, the, yeah. but Drew, what I'm saying is if you look at a community yeah. that doesn't, and there are Mennonite communities I mean, that don't do it um, at all, mm. there are areas in sub-Saharan Africa that don't vaccinate at all. And you look at the incidence of autism, asthma, autoimmune illnesses, allergies, food well, we allergies- We should be able to just you, go- uh, 
go into Santa Monica and Brentwood here in in Los Angeles because uh, there's the similar rate of vaccines in those parts of of our city as Sub-Saharan Africa. (laughs) It's it's actually true. I used used to say that. I was very, 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 very concerned about it. Now I'm thinking we should use them as a... Jolanta, I'm bringing you up here. Another another question. Uh, and Ivor, while she's coming up, maybe you have a, a comment to what Kelly was just saying. Uh, yes, yeah, for me, I'm calling I it really simple. As I mentioned, the control. Anyone who even hints or moves or biases in the slightest towards not wanting a control, I assume charlatan yeah. until proven otherwise. Right. Just as yeah. a general rule. Because the control is the center of science. <laughs> that's a good rule. Now, if you've got a drug class for decades that's given to a handful of people with serious disease and you avoid a control, you say, ah, okay. But if you have one that's given to hundreds of millions of people Thank and you. it's exempt from liability and you have studiously avoided a control for decades since almost the early part of the explosion of that drug class and the industry, I assume there's a massive problem until proven otherwise. And as Kelly said, the problem is there is no proven otherwise because the associational data hints at a problem, but they've eliminated the control. Now, who eliminates a control? (laughs) I mean, they should be desperate to do control trials back 20 years ago when the Wakefield thing came up. They should have said, well, we're going to do a control trial with true placebo. We're going to pick three or four vaccines and we're going to do large numbers and we're going to end this question forever. Did they do that? Could I ask a question? No. Oh, well, let me, before yeah. you do, Caleb, let me, let me just say. It sounded like he told me no. They, they remember, no, no, I'm going to say no. But the, you got to remember the, the, uh, the hypothesis, at least the uh, sort of ethical cry has been it's unethical to withhold a vaccine from a kid because this is such an important intervention it's so preventative so i but that's the but that has been the argument for quite some time but caleb go ahead drew that that's literally just a second that was literally what i was about to ask is is what's the response to that because i i kind of went down this this journey here after uh uh robert f kennedy jr was on the joe rogan podcast and i started digging and doing more research and understanding i guess just the the basics of how how vaccines the vaccine science how those work in particular and going down that Mm -hmm. rabbit hole i started seeing well what are the arguments for not doing these double blind placebo controlled trials and it was something about medical Mm -hmm. ethics when if you need to do a trial that's going to have a million kids on one side that receive it and a million kids on the other who don't then to me i I understand the reason why they need to do those trials but they're saying it's unethical you could figure out a way you could figure out a way to find a control group of kids that are already not being vaccinated that you're not recommending no vaccine they're already being non-vaccinated and that and that's what that's sort of what kelly's tilting at with some of the mennonites right jolanta unmute yourself go right to i'm actually i'm curious to hear what so I'm sorry. I'm curious to hear what Kelly has to say to that that argument because that seems to be the big argument that they push back is well we're not going to do these she trials because that's you. unethical. 
Mm. No, it, well, first of all, I would say exactly that, that that isn't an excuse. You cannot, particularly as Ivor said, when you're talking about something that is being given to millions of people and God forbid being mandated or required in order to do something as simple as attend school, um, then you are obligated to first do no harm. Right. Um, you cannot you know, force it. Okay. But then on top of it, we have been led to believe, and again, another part of this uh, of this lie is that we've been led to believe that it was uh, the vaccination programs that led to the decrease in incidence of things like polio. It is the vaccination program when, in fact, it does. That's not the case. Right. Uh, so you see, I, I've already the, piped every in on time that. you see if I if I pull out a thread, but, then like 10 other parts of the rug start unraveling around me whenever I look into each detail of that. And that's why it's I'm just trying to understand, well, what are the rebuttals that are coming from this side? of, well, why are we not, why were those tests not done? But it makes sense. Why, before something is mandated, before my kid can go to school, I would want to be absolutely 100% sure this has been tested, no matter what it is. If you're going to force it on us, then you need to do these types of tests and figure it out. You're the people making billions of dollars. Talking to pharma. A couple things. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a physician on the phone. I've got uh, poor Ivor at midnight out there in (laughs) Ireland. Go ahead, Kelly, if you wanted to finish up. No. I want Ivor to jump in here. Go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. Let's get Jill out in here first because this poor woman. Okay, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Ahead. I've lost very control briefly. of my show. So Dr. Martin Kendrick uh, told me something I didn't know, which doesn't happen too often because I've been so long in this. Antihypertensive meds, for decades, they've done many different types. And they've never shown a life extension. They've moved the blood pressure down. They've shown other subjective measures improving, yada, yada, yada. And in 2001, the European Heart Journal, which is a big pharma kind of magazine, they admitted in a summary of the history of antihypertensives, they made that statement. There has never been a life extension demonstrated uh, with antihypertensives against placebo. They put it in print. He read it out twice. A year or two after that, they decided from now on, there won't be antihypertensive placebo trials. They'll be tested against another antihypertensive for ethical reasons. So this ethical thing, come on, the antihypertensive, they did the same with chemo and cancer treatment 30 years ago based on the trial that I read. And I said, are you serious? I mean, the chemo trial did impact the cancer growth rate, but by four months, there was no mortality benefit because you know the body was impacted and then the people deteriorated kind of faster, slower at first, then faster. At the end, there was no result. That trial was used to say it was unethical to use placebo from now on. I mean, I'm an engineer, I'm a corporate guy. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I agree. You, get, you I agree. gotta remember some some of the things we do pushes back the, I mean, you know, by by attacking these illnesses where we are not showing benefit. If a patient is properly informed, we ultimately do get enough experience. We think these things that we can extend life. That has certainly been my experience. I mean, again, you could have the same argument with AZT. I was there. We started using AZT. Yeah, it only gave us a couple extra months, but those couple extra months and at what caused it was not a great medicine. But those couple extra months gave us time. We learned not only how to push 
HIV back and to suppress it further. We learned how to treat pneumocystis. We learned how to treat Kaposi's. We learned how to deal with CMV retinitis. We had no idea what to do with those things when it was all starting out. So there's, it's a complicated issue. And also with, with hypertension, yeah, I mean, lowering the blood pressure may have other risks associated with it. And, you know, dying of other causes may be or may not related to the hypertension. You're ultimately, yes, you should have some some mortality data also. Jolanta, go ahead. Uh, thank you, Drew. Um, thank you very much for uh, letting me say anything on this space. Uh, I was just uh, listening to uh, all most of your recent uh, talks with different people and I'm just thinking, you know, Kelly just mentioned that one of the adjuvants in these vaccines is aluminium, which is uh, highly toxic and neurotoxic. I'm a doctor. I, so I have been working a, here. That, yeah, you, you, might not, yeah. you might not have heard, but Dr. Kelly did a whole disquisition on that about 10 minutes yeah, ago yeah, yeah. while you were trying to get on, actually. So, yeah, yes. that's okay. No, that's okay. But my, my other thought, you know, uh, during all this COVID pseudo god knows what uh, i am a, an anesthetist i have been working here in uh, oxford uh, since 96 i uh, retired uh, last year because i you know i just couldn't put up with all this box that was were going on retired early uh, and um, yeah. when boris uh, when boris asked us to by 1st of april 22 to all uh, health workers get vaccinated i said well thank you very much i, I just i'm just i'm just done with it anyway what i was uh, thinking about there's another uh, point that, you know, we know that we have been poisoned for many, many decade, decades now. And uh, during this COVID uh, debacle, I have started to think, you know, aluminium being neurotoxic and we are using it as a kitchen for you. Right. This as is, a, this as is a say it again, as a what? For you. Uh, this is not only that i i drink i drink uh sugar-free soft drinks out of aluminum cans i think about that all the time exactly. i had a patient okay, once one of but but let me tell you the two two reactions i had that one i had a patient who was drinking two cases of diet coke a day she had a psychiatric problem yeah. and her aluminum levels did go up and we gave her phosphate binding for aluminum levels and if you remember back in the day if you've been practicing medicine long enough back in dialysis yeah. early days of dialysis you ever heard of the denver dialysis syndrome that was aluminum yeah. aluminum intoxication the levels were so oh. high they got intoxicated no increased incidence of neurological problems you just gave them the phosphate binders and it came down and so you know i, I don't know i don't know what well, to make well, of this. Okay, well, I guess I, the only point I would make with regard to, again, environmental exposure to aluminum, one concern I had very early on was the change um, that many people made to aluminum cooking pans, for example, as, as a brand, mm -hmm. Calphalon, yeah. but there, there are many. That, that when I was growing the, up, it, it's it, in the deodorants, too. Iron, but uh, aluminum. So I don't know, you know, just because it doesn't affect you as an adult, what does it do to mm. the neurologic development of a child. I mean, autism generally Good doesn't, point. you know, come on in your 30s and 40s. You know, autism is something that happens generally. during childhood. So, you know, if if you are using, you know, whether it's aluminum foil or aluminum cooking pans, I, I don't know. It's what I'm saying. I'm not here to say that vaccines cause autism. We know the answer. I'm simply saying that I my eyes have been 
opened that the science, quote unquote, as I understood it, is inadequate. Is inadequate. It is impure. And I happen to agree with Ivor that I don't think it was simply an oversight. I smell a rat because I think this has been brought to their attention. They could have solved this problem. They could easily have Uh done something about it. They haven't. Ivor, I don't know if you're resetting or if you've uh, finally gotten uh, oh, too frustrated <laughs> he with fell us. Asleep. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. Yeah. Let's see. It's uh, what what time is it? It's nine hours later in Ireland, so it's eleven, almost eleven thirty. I, yeah. I wanted to yeah. thank him for his uh, generosity his with service. his time. So hopefully he will come back and, and also, uh, we can let him. Thank go. you to everybody on Rumble who's donating money. I just want to thank you. Well, that is uh, okay, Dropkick uh, drop Mickey. What I think is really awesome about Ivor, and I would, I'd like to, I'm, I actually would love to go back and spend some more time talking with him. I think he's got a great mm. handle on the historical basis for this mm. and understanding. I think it's really too simple to say, you know, as many of us have, that this is, you know, big pharma and the WHO. It's, it's more than that. It's the connection, as he said, with the Rockefellers, with the Bundaberg, uh, with with uh you know the world economic you know, forum it's a much and, more and, but i like the way he framed it as people who thought they were doing good because politicians couldn't yeah. be trusted to serve the yeah. interests of the of the public and, and i thought boy that's an interesting and viable mm-hmm. way of looking at all this uh, caleb is he yeah. gone and that's that because i had a i'm trying I to get him a, back uh, he's not uh there was a question on, on Rumble <laughs> with yes, so many culturally diverse nations in the EU. Yes. Has the COVID experience strengthened or weakened the EU overall? I, 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 that is, uh, was for him. That yeah. was for Ivor. Yeah, uh, what do you think? You've been over there a couple of times, Susan. You've been to the... I, I think it has uh, fragmented things a bit. I, yeah. I think it has. I don't know. I didn't see a bunch of people walking around with masks on. You know. No, but the the European Union. Oh, the, back, Union. I mean, the in other words, I remember you know five years ago there was tremendous uh, acrimony around the Greek debt and this kind of stuff that seemed to kind of go away, and yet I don't know that it's actually. I thought everything looked fine. Okay. Everybody was like, "Thank God it's over." Well, that was um, sort of the attitude. I'm sort of uh, treading water here to see and if there were a lot of businesses back. that were rebuilding. I, I, I mean, it, I it, there's a lot of sadness uh, about the loss of the businesses. You think it's gone? I, I suspect that. Yeah, yeah I think like, it's ta-ta. late, and I think, yeah, I think it was tough. It's coming. You know, we were running into each other. He's so. coming back. There he oh. is. Okay. Oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. Okay. I, I am in. Don't um, take it personally. We're, we're, we're a trooper. Are, listen, uh, we, we are a trooper. I know it's 1130 there. We want to thank you for having been so generous with your time. We're going to let you go. We've been, we've been abusive with your time, actually. But it's been a very well, interesting conversation. And Kelly was just saying, I'll let you say it to him, that you wanted to hear more even of some of the, some of the um, material we were going over. Yeah, I just I I really appreciate your insights, Ivor, with regard to the historical background for this. That this is this way predated. I think we can all acknowledge now the the pandemic and it's the the involvement of, as you said, not just the WHO and the big pharma, but also the World Economic Forum. People like George Soros and the Rockefellers and Bundabergs, whatever else. I, I think that that historical component I think is critical for people to understand. And, uh, you know, and, and that it wasn't necessarily nefarious, that it was perhaps people who, who for whatever reason, are, uh, you know, paternalistic and believe that they just know better than the rest of us. Um, but I think that that 
piece of it is something I'd like to talk with you more about. Um, maybe you know, not just focusing on the uh, on the big pharma component, but really on these bigger, really bigger forces and, and yeah. perhaps more critical yeah. forces to driving this reset. Yeah. Absolutely, Kelly. And that's the skeleton key for me. And that's why I promoted Dr. Jakob um, Nordengard's work so much. And it basically, Mm -hmm. once someone watches that and realizes, and it's all from the published Rockefeller archives and newspapers, there isn't a single shred of misinformation in there. It'll still get banned, though, maybe on YouTube, because it's very damaging to what's been going on and the people driving it. Once you understand the history and realize all of this was whiteboarded, pandemics and climate disaster in the 50s with no scientists present, and you see the full documented history, uh, once you see that, you can't unsee it. And you'll never fall for media nonsense again. It's over. Do you have it? Can, what, what is the link? Is can you news. make sure that we have the link to that? What, what, just Caleb, let's make sure we have the information so that folks can look this up. Yeah, send it to me and I will uh, post it up on the website. In fact, people, if you're listening to the podcast, they can go and find that at drdrew.com slash 816-2023. So it's drdrew.com slash 816-2023. And one well, quick last thing. For, yeah, for, because, we, had a, we had a question. Go ahead, finish oh, your thought. So, Oh, yeah, because it was so important, actually, I put a download link to eTransfer. So I'll send you the video streaming, but also the download link, because I think this should be downloaded by people. It's around a gigabyte. No big deal. It should be downloaded by people and kept. It's, It's gold, pure gold. Right. Right. And and one last quick question one of our users uh, brought to us was, do you see the EU was strengthened or weakened by the experience of COVID? Any Any sense of that? Oh, the EU has gone down the toilet, I'm afraid, because the EU and the European Commission, and people don't understand this, the European Commission runs Europe. It's unelected. The Mm. European Parliament is only a talking shop. They can't create laws. That comes from the EU Commission. The EU Commission is unelected. And I interviewed Professor Richard Werner recently, who created the quantitative easing concepts in 95. He's a professor of finance amazing guy but he explained that the stalinist system was the same they had a parliament but it couldn't make laws and the party basically decided it's a direct analogy with the european commission the european parliament so we've kind of let europe go into a kind of a communist type system and covid uh, things have just gone absolutely nuts i mean europe lockdown europe just one last thing i'll say and this was my darkest day in COVID in three years, easily. I, I actually nearly gave up because in the middle of the summer, when the hospitals were empty, the ICUs were empty of COVID. There was nothing going on and they knew it. What did they do when nothing was going on with COVID? They brought in mandatory masks all across Europe with prison sentences and fines. They didn't bring them in and say, hey guys, I think you should wear them for no reason because the summer and nothing's going on. They didn't say that. They brought them in with an iron fist. And then I knew if people follow this, we are in serious trouble in Europe. And, mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. people bought it. So right. yeah, Europe, Europe well, has massive problems. And the European Commission is now going after Twitter. They're trying to bring in laws that social media will have to block websites. So Germany is doing that at the moment, I think in France, 
They want the government to tell service providers what websites are, in their mind, misinformation, way beyond medical. Yep. And they want to try and get in right at the heart of the code to block websites. That's totalitarianism by definition. Yeah. The government decides. Yeah, look, we, what we, you we have say. that we have that on YouTube. Have that on YouTube and yeah. Rumble is out of France for having that uh, mandate. So it's uh, it's because it's they tried to tell them to not stuff. use cer certain uh, information on Rumble. All right. Let's uh, end here. Uh, we'll get, let Ivor go to bed, <laughs> but hope we'll have we you back again Rumble. soon. Yes, we um, do. Susan's singing about Rumble in the meantime, and I and I just was now <laughs> communicating with Dave you. Rubin and thanking thanking him oh. for Rumble, and I thank Ivor for the interesting conversation today. And uh, we will look for your podcast. Tell people where they can find you, Ivor, and then we'll wrap this up. Well, currently you can still search Ivor Cummins, not too common a name, and you'll quickly <laughs> hit my YouTube and my Twitter, of course. So Twitter, YouTube are my big ones. I got Facebook as well, Fat Emperor and uh, LinkedIn. But Twitter and YouTube are probably the big ones. And I have, uh, of course, Odyssey, Rumble. I automatically, all YouTube videos automatically load to Rumble, uh, BitChute, and I, Odyssey. Uh, for obvious reasons, you want to have redundancy. <laughs> and we want to thank our Rumble friends. This is a... Uh... This is our two hundred fifty thousand uh, follower paperweight or whatever it is. It's like a. It's like a. We should send it to Kelly to put on her shelf. Yeah, fine. And it's exactly uh, the biggest reason do, we're on Rumble and put the word out. We'll, we'd love to see five hundred thousand. That one when that one should arrive would be amazing. Uh, okay, guys, say your last thoughts there, Kelly, and then we'll wrap it up. I was just going to ask. I've already, remind us also. You have your website for your lifestyle and diet. The, the one you're doing the uh, dietary issue. You have a. Um, that website. Yeah, it's myself and Gabor Doshi at the right. Adipocyte Warrior, the lower insulin expert, and it's metabolicduo.com. So metabolicduo.com, all one word, no hyphens. Oh, I want and that one. We do a subscription. Okay, terrific. Thank you. And thanks again go. for joining us. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thank you, Thank everybody. you, Dr. Thank Drew. Thank Kelly. you, Ivor. Tomorrow. Robert. Tom Rand's coming back in with a uh, with a brief drive-by by Ed Dowd. So it should be very interesting tomorrow. We've been waiting for this for weeks yeah. with uh, Tom, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Tom, this is this is the show with Tom Renz, and we've had him on. He's a good friend of the show. Uh, he's been doing pivotal work in terms of exposing things with regard to how the pandemic came down and that it was really quite premeditated. He's Tomorrow, the goal is to show what I call the timeline. Uh, he is going to lay out the evidence um, that, uh, that, you know, people have sort of danced around it, that this stuff was whiteboarded beforehand. But he, uh, Tom mm -hmm. Renz is going to lay out all the evidence of what they knew when they knew it, meaning the CDC, the FDA, the, the federal government, DOD, when they knew it with regard to this, um, this pandemic. And I think it's going to be an eye opener. And then, as you said, Ed, uh, Ed Dowd, good, another good friend of the show, is going to stop by and talk about uh, what's going on in Hawaii. Is uh his exactly. take where on, he lives. on these, yeah, where, which is where yeah. he lives. And, and I think that's going to be a great insight as well. So huge, huge day All tomorrow. Right. Big day tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow at three o'clock Pacific time for that show. See you then. Thank you all for being here. Thanks. Ta-ta. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. 
This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. 